Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Fallout Equestria. My name is UK Decker. Fallout Equestria was written by KCAT. The opening piece of music was the main theme from the Fallout Equestria animated series by The Rocking Fellow. My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, is owned by Hasbro. Fallout, a post-nuclear role-playing game, is owned by Bethesda. This is a fan work using both of these as inspiration. This work is not for profit. Anti up. Chapter 2 The Equestrian Wasteland. What world do you live in? 
out here in the real world, blood flows, my little pony. Blood flows. Nothingness. My first several seconds outside were a heart-bursting eternity of hoof-pounding terror. The story had been right. All that was outside was a great black nothingness. It surrounded me, suffocating. If I had been able to draw breath, I would have screamed. And then my eyes started to adjust to the darkness. I began to carp, gasping, feeling weak, and not just a little foolish. In my defence, I had never experienced night before. Not really. Sure, I'd always turned off the lights before curling into bed, but that darkness was small, confined to my little room, and there was always the glow from under the door. The whole lights of Stable 2 were eternal. This was different. A cool air, quite unlike anything within the stable, tickled my coat and chilled my skin beneath. It bore smells that were dank and rotting, dusty and alien. I could hear the sounds of night insects, creaking of wood and a far-off sloshing, but I was struck more by what I couldn't hear, the constant low hum of the stable's generators, and the ever-present high whine of the lights were gone. So powerful in their absence that I first mistook the outside as silent. I could feel dirt and broken stone beneath my hooves, so unlike the smooth and sterile floors I had trotted all my life. And though I could not see much or far, I could see further than I had ever seen before, and there were no walls to mark the end of the room. I was staring into a horizontal abyss, that stretched out from me in every direction. An entirely new panic began to form within me. My hind legs went out from under me, and I sat, stunned. I turned my gaze to the ground, breathing deeply, thanking it not only for holding me up, but being a visual endpoint. Then I made the mistake of looking up into the sky, and the absolute endless upness of it sent my head spinning and my stomach lurching. Great masses of clouds rolled over most of the sky, but there were gaps through which soft light poured, and through those I could see the up went on forever. Insanely, I thought of the clouds as a great net, made to catch me if I ever fell from the earth into the yawning gulf above. But if I slipped through the holes, I would just fall up forever. I clenched my eyes shut and tried to keep from vomiting. The fear and queasiness was intense, but passing. Once my faculties returned, I began to notice these things that had escaped me in my initial panic. The surrounding terrain was becoming evident. The world around me did not stretch out evenly. The ground rolled and heaved, hills creeping towards mountains. The earth was punctured by the upthrusting black fingers of long dead trees. Along distant hilltops, I could see the swaying, leaf-shrouded branches of healthier woods, but the living trees near Stable 2 were few, scattered and sickly. Second, I noticed that my pit-buck was flashing with a host of alerts. The map-maker was already beginning to do its work on my new and unfamiliar surroundings. And to my surprise, it had already pulled a label from the ether. Sweet 
apple acres. Turning around to get my bearings, my eyes were drawn to the huge hollowed husk of what I had assumed had once been a magnificent house. Now it creaked and swayed in the breeze as if threatening to collapse. Looking up to my pickbuck again, I noticed that it was picking up several radio transmissions. The radio broadcast from Stable 2 was dark, but new stations had taken its place. My heart leapt for the first indication that there might be pony life out here after all. I nudged my pickbuck to start playing the first station upon the list. Now he's terribly sick. Too sick to move. We've holed up in the system near the old memorial. We're running out of food and medical supplies. Please, if anybody hears this, help us. Message repeats. Hello? Is there any pony out there? Please, we need help. I was bringing my family up to the stable near Sweet Apple Acres when we were attacked by raiders. Only my son and I survived. We made it to the stable, but it's still sealed up. There's no way inside. My son, he ate one of the apples near those damned apple trees near the stable. Now he's terribly sick. Too sick to move. We've holed up in the system near the old memorial. We're running out of food and medical supplies. Please, if anybody hears this, help us. Message repeats. Hello? The voice was filled with a terrible resignation, as if the pony had already given up hope and was just going through the motions. Shaken, I turned it off. I didn't think I could bear to hear it again. That is when I noticed the soft ticking from my pitbuck. Checking it over, I discovered that its radiation detector, a feature I had never known to be used, had self-activated. The cute little rainbow dial had been planted firmly in the green. It was still there, but edging discreetly towards the yellow. I couldn't just stand here beside what had long ago been the door to a simple apple cellar for the rest of my life. Well, I could, but it would be a relatively short and miserable life. A realisation was dawning on me. With so many directions to go, what was the likelihood that I would choose the path that Velvet Remedy had followed? Even though she had only a few hours head start, the prospect of finding her was bleak. But I had to start somewhere, and the best chance I had was to get up high and have a look around. The ruins near me rose higher than any of the nearby trees, and the sheared-off roof with its upper tower was probably the best vantage point I could hope for. I closed my eyes, steadied myself, and went inside. 
What was left of the Sweet Apple Acres building proved sturdier than it looked, or sounded. It was also almost barren. Anything of value that had survived had been looted, leaving only scraps that nobody wanted, but the time itself seemed unable to erase. Rusted shoes, boxes of soaps for cleaning dresses that no longer existed, pitchfork with a shattered handle, a rake. I began up the stairs. My eyes were alerted to a feeble glow, the soft green colour of a poisoned apple, bathing the room above. The glow came from the screen of an old terminal, a device of arcane science identical to the ones used throughout Stable 2. It seemed miraculous that it still worked after centuries on the outside. When StableTech built something, they built it to last. Curiosity lured me to it, and my wonder was quickly replaced with understanding. It was no coincidence that this particular terminal was alive, for on it was a fresh message. To any pony who has left Stable 2 in search of me, please, go home. I'm doing what I have to do. The Overmare understands, even if she can never agree. And I hope one day you will too. I will not be back. Do not look for me. Do not endanger yourself further for my sake. Please, forgive me. Velvet Remedy. I searched the terminal for more, but all the other messages were ancient and corrupted save one and that one had a rather unique encryption. Something I'd heard of, but never seen before. A binary encryption such as that in order to decrypt it, I would have to download the message onto my pipbuck from both the terminal which had been used to send it, and the one upon it was received. Having nothing better to do with the vast amounts of storage my pipbuck was capable of, I downloaded it. In reality, I knew that the chances I would ever come across the companion terminal, much less that it would be functional, were overwhelmingly against me. Nor did I have any reason to believe a message centuries old would be of any significance. More importantly, I now had to face the outside was my new home. Even if I found Velvet Remedy, it was unlikely that she would accompany me back. I'll admit, I've been subtly entertaining a fantasy where the Overmare would be so delighted with Velvet's return that she would embrace us both back into the herd. Maybe even throw me a party. Now I was forced to admit how foolish that vision was. Thinking upon this made my head fill with black clouds. But as I reached the top of the ruins and looked out over the wasteland, a bright light, feeble as it was, flickered in that darkness. Just as the light from the campfire, not half an hour's trot distance, poked an orange hole in the night. As I approached the circle of firelight, I knew something was off. Something about the way the dusty beige unicorn was laying upon his mat of straw, legs curled up under him. Some tenseness in his body language. But it wasn't until I stepped hoof into the light and got a good look, a warm hello dying upon my lips, that I saw he was gagged and caught the glint of the flames against a few exposed links of the chains binding his hooves. Well, looky here. Walked up all nice and pleasant, didn't she? A large earth pony emerged from the shadows of a nearby rock. His hooves clacked metallically against the rocky ground, shod in cruelly spiked pony shoes. Two more ponies slid out of hiding on opposite sides, one other earth pony holding a shovel whose blade had been lethally sharpened, 
the other a unicorn, whose glowing horn levitated towards me a short instrument of wood and metal with two barrels. Each pony wore barding made from thick hide. Much like the knight, I had never seen a firearm before, save pictures in books, but those books were more than explicit enough for me to recognise the mortal threat. The bound unicorn on the mat shook his head with a sad yet derisive look, and began trying to scrape the gag away with a forehoof, no longer making effort to keep his chain secret. The three ponies menacing me spared him only the occasional glance. Well, might as well trust yourself up for us, the gun-wielding unicorn snickered. Then, addressing me, you wouldn't mind, would you? Laughter. And another unicorn, too. She'll fetch a pretty price, this one. Fetch a price? For, for what? And from whom? The one holding the shovel spear in his mouth mumbled something incomprehensible. Then, apparently deciding the gun was sufficient deterrent, spat out his weapon and reiterated, By the gun! I mean, look at her! I think she's taken a bath! I was suddenly, and bizarrely aware of how filthy all four of the ponies were, and how foul they smelled. I managed to cover a gag with a sneeze. What's going on? I asked. Of the emotions battling for supremacy in my head, confusion had clawed its way to victory. The captive unicorn finally succeeded in pulling the filthy grag free. They're slavers, you idiots! Monterey Jack, the dirty beige unicorn with a dour expression and a cutie mark that looked like cheese, followed behind me as we trudged alongside our captors, walking a broken path that would once erode. My legs were in chains, making walking difficult and anything more speedy than a trot impossible. My pitbuck had stymied this slaver's efforts to bind my forelegs, eventually forcing them to chain me above the knees. Had the one with the shovel spear not been holding its point dangerously against my throat, the other two would have gotten a few hooves in tender places for their efforts. As it was, they made short work of me. I was not gagged, but Monterey had convinced me that unnecessary chatter from the slaves-to-be would likely result in the loss of my tongue. Not that I had much to say to these brutes anyway, aside from my repertoire of colourful metaphors. I didn't expect they would answer my questions, even if my tongue should survive the asking. And they were being chatty enough with each other to suffice. <laughs> Grumbled the earth pony through the spear clenched in his teeth. Well then, if you would just learn to swim, we could take the long way, wouldn't we? Suggested the unicorn with his poisoned sweetness. <laughs> By his smell, decidedly more pungent than the others. I guessed he just hated water in general. How about you stop complaining, and I'll let you sample one of the slaves before we get to the forest? Their leader, the earth pony named Cracker with the spiked shoes and cutie mark that looked suspiciously like a whip, or perhaps a snake, turned towards Monterey Jack and I with a filthy smile. I looked away. They laughed. Through their disgusting dialogue, I could hear a liquid sound ahead. Not like a burbling water fountain, but closer to a sloughing muck. And something else. A distant sound. Getting closer. Music. Yes, music. Slightly tinny, yet triumphant. Regal. I couldn't put my hoof on exactly what feeling the music was trying to inspire, but it was brightly out of place. Cracker took note of my expression and smirked. You look like you've never heard of that before. What, did you live your life in a stable? If you're hoping for the cavalry, that ain't it, Philly. That's just one of them sprite bots. 
The music cut out with a sharp twang. The unicorn slaver, sword off, trotted ahead a bit, peering down the path ahead. Turning back to the rest of us, he smirked. Think one of the radigators got it? Cracker suggested it flew into somebody's booby trap, and the earth pony suggested a mouthful of spear-mangled mumbling. The unicorn turned forward again, and the glow from his horn illuminated the machine. A metal ball, about the size of a foal's head, floating on four silently flapping wings, hovering silently right in front of his face. No arcane science to this. I could tell. It was pure earth pony engineering. Fuck! Swordoff leapt black at full pony's length in surprise, and swung his shotgun to bear and fired it at the sprite bot. The sound was like a metal plate falling from the ceiling and it echoed through the night-darkened hills. Sparks decked the metal ball as it was peppered with scattershot. It lout out an electric whine and darted into the darkness. The unicorn almost took off after it, but Cracker's voice cut the distance between them. That's enough, sword off. Save your ammo. Damn it. I hate when they pull that stealthy shit. It's like a fucking flying radio. It's not supposed to sneak up on ponies. My ears were burning from the free flow of crude profanity, but I didn't mind. I was mulling over what I'd just seen. Idiot, muttered Monterey Jack beneath his breath. They heard that all the way in Ponyville. Unlike my fellow slave, I was pleased to have witnessed the unicorn firing off his weapon, because now I knew how it worked. What kind of damned fool, Monterey grumbled, announces his presence this close to raider territory. A river slithered across our path, its waters slipping and oozing along its banks. Half stagnant, the water lapped and sucked at the supports of a bridge, making the wet sounds I'd been hearing. Beyond the bridge lurked the shattered remains of a pre-war town. The bridge was a maze of barricades. Dark shadows of ponies moved about it. Briefly, I may have made the mistake of hoping for rescue, but my eyes were drawn to the spiked poles that lined the bridge the still rotting heads of decapitated ponies that adorned two of them. I tasted bile. The sight was horrific. Cager, stay here, Cracker said, finally putting a name to the spear-wielding slaver pony. Sword off, let's go hear what the toll is this time. Monterey Jack lowered his head, and Balefy looked towards the bridge. I moved close to him, following his example, and hoping that I'd position myself so Cager couldn't see the faint glow from my horn as I slipped my screwdriver and a bobby pin from my stable utility barding. Like all the slaver's equipment, the manacles on my legs were crude and of low quality. As Cracker and Swordoff argued with the bridge ponies, I focused on picking the first lock. I was rewarded with a soft click as it sprung open, releasing my pitbuck foreleg. The manacle fell to the ground with a little thump. Oh! Cage's ears had shot up, and now he moved around to see me. Swiftly, I cut the magic, dropping the screwdriver and bobby pin into the dirt, and hoped that in the darkness the slaver wouldn't be able to see the change in my chains. <laughs> Cagey growled dangerously, the nasty sharp edge of the shovel I hovered inches from my eyes. Cagey turned abruptly, the spear shovel slashing close enough to my face that I shrieked. The gunshot was from the bridge. It didn't sound like Sawdoff's shotgun but the second shot did. It took Keiji a breath to realise that crossing the bridge had become a bloody affair. Glowering back at us, his posture threatening, he started to say... something. I suspect he was warning us to stay put, but I'll never know. His head exploded, 
showering me with gore. I stood there, eyes wide, shaking with shock. Blood, warm and sticky, ran down my forehead and into my left eye, oozed into my coat and mane. In the growing list of things I had not seen before this night, the death of another pony ranked at the top. I blinked, feeling the blood upon my eyelid. Keiji was dead, and I had Keiji all over me. The urge to throw myself into the river was overwhelming, but I wouldn't get to it like this. Pushed by something more than determination now, my horn once again glowed, and I began to unlock the rest of my manacles. I spared a glance towards the bridge, seeing Sordoff hunkering down beside one of the barricades as he magically pulled his shotgun open, stuffing in more ammo. Two shots, I realised. One at the sprite bot, one just now. Two shots, and then reload. Closing the weapon, he levitated it up above the barricade and shot blindly into the violent mayo, <laughs> spraying an already wounded raider pony with the scatter shot. The pony staggered and fell. Unfortunately for Sordoff, the raider behind him had a different kind of shotgun, one that was faster and not limited to two shots. <laughs> they fired slugs which tore great holes in the unicorn slaver's body the moment he looked up to see the results of his effort. I turned away, cringing from the nightmare playing out before me. I focused upon the locks. I had freed myself and was beginning to free Monterey when two raider ponies trotted off the bridge towards us, stepping over the battle-mutilated corpses of Cracker, Sword Off, and the raiders that had taken down them. One of those approaching was the Unicorn Raider wielding the devastating combat shotgun, the other an earth pony with a sledgehammer in his teeth. The Unicorn was laughing, not the mean laugh of Cracker, but a dazed, crazed laugh that sent chills down the back of my neck. Looks like we got ourselves some prizes! The earth pony chortled behind the sledgehammer, and the unicorn looked over at us appraisingly. The two were somehow even filthier than the slavers. The unicorn bore jagged scars across her face and flanks, one of them tearing through her cutie mark, several freshly bleeding. The earth pony was hairless and painfully burned over much of her left side. Both wore barding that looked jagged and cobbled together. Help us? I suggested weakly. Oh, I'll help myself to you, all right. The unicorn reared up and gave me a kick, her hoof striking hard into my side. Pain exploded and I dropped, gasping. Rearing up again, she brought her full weight down on me. I howled. Near me, Monterey let out a wet grunt of pain as the earth pony gave him a taste of her sledgehammer, leaving me in a crying huddle. The unicorn also turned her attention to the still-chained Monterey. In moments, it became clear that they intended to beat and bludgeon him until he was another lifeless corpse, and probably not stop then. Hold his leg out! I'm going to shoot his hooves off! The unicorn raider floated the combat shotgun a foot from Monterey's splained left hind leg, the only one I had freed from its manacle. Ignoring the pain, I leapt up, closing the distance and spinning as I gave a fierce back kick. My hooves connected with the shotgun, sending it flying. It clattered onto the bridge beyond. A moment later, I was levitating the shovel spear at the two raiders who stood facing me with gleeful expressions. Two against one, and both of them were experienced fighters. The one with the sledgehammer stepped closer, 
as if eager to see if hammer beat knife. Monterey was on her in an instant, throwing his forelegs over her head, pulling the chain between them across her neck. The sledgehammer fell from her mouth as the raider pony choked. The unicorn turned, surprised by the sudden change of odds. I could have attacked her then, but threatening a pony is much different than actually attacking one. I wasn't sure I had it in me to slash another pony, to draw her blood, to maim, or possibly kill. The unicorn picked up the fallen sledgehammer and turned to face me with it, murder in her eyes. And suddenly, I found it easy to thrust the shovel spear forward. I was no longer struggling with following through on a threat. This was survival. Self-preservation is instinctual. It clears away the moral hesitations. And while I did not have the fighting skills of my opponent, I did have my own advantage. Sats. Aided by the targeting spell of my pitbuck, I sent the spear slashing across her knees, hobbling her. A second slash, this time across her face, relieved her of her weapon. The third would be a killing blow. Except I wasn't ready to do that. Not yet. Instead, I swung the spear around, cracking her across the head with its handle, hard enough to splinter the wood. Unicorn Raider fell at my feet, unconscious. I looked up. Monterey was standing, chest heaving, over the body of the Earth Pony Raider, the life choked out of her. He was staring at me quietly, then finally raised a forehoof, only for the chain to clank tight before he had to put it a few more inches off the ground. Oh! Dropping the shovel spear, I turned on the light from my pit buck and searched about for my screwdriver. I'd lost the bobby pin, there was no chance of finding it in the dirt at night, but I had more. Once we were both free, Monterey limped over the bridge. A moment later, he returned, his horn glowing a gentle beige. Sword-off's shotgun followed him. Before I could react, he aimed it at the head of the unconscious unicorn raider and fired. Her blood began to seep across the ground towards my hooves. I watched in stunned silence as he turned and began prodding at the bodies, tugging items from them. Finally, I found my voice. What are you doing? He looked at me as if I was stupid, checking to see if they have anything valuable on them. With luck, food. I nodded, watching him move to the bodies at the end of the bridge. Looting the bodies of the dead felt wrong, but a cold, rational part of me murmured that it was a karma I would have to get over in order to survive, and imagine how embarrassed I'd be if I starved to death out here because I'd been too shy to check a dead body pony's bag for a pouch of oats or a can of old applesauce. I moved a bit further down the bridge. I looked over the body of a dead raider pony, his face bloody and torn from Cracker's pony shoes. I started to go through the pockets of his barding, but my stomach rebelled, and I flung myself to the railing, heaving my lunch into the foul river below. A large break in the clouds caught a shaft and silvery light to everything, and I could see my reflection in the water, still covered with Cagey's drying blood. Then, I saw Sordoff's shotgun hovering in the air behind my head. I'll be taking what you have too, Monterey Jack informed me with a bored drawl. What? I turned slowly to see him standing on the bridge, bathed in moonlight, his horn glowing a soft beige light. The shotgun floated between us, pointed at me. But I just saved you. Yeah, and for that, I'm not going to kill you. His eyes narrowed. Unless, of course, you do something stupid right now. But I just saved you. 
Aren't you top of your class? He said snidely. We should work together. Travel together. Monterey snorted. And split our limited provisions. Go to sleep with one eye open each night, hoping to catch you when you try to stab me in the back. No thanks. My righteous disbelief stopped short of denial. Suddenly, I was so very weary. Nodding, I lowered my head and let my two canteens slip free. I then backed up so he could approach them and turned my head to start unclasping my saddlebags. I saw it on the bridge just beyond my tail. Turning back to Monterey, my own horn was glowing and the combat shotgun whipped to the air. For a long moment, we stood there, two unicorn ponies on a bridge, surrounded by bodies, shotguns floating between us, aimed at each other. Moonlight shone down on us from the break in the clouds. Monterey Jack broke the silence. You're not going to use that. I saw you spare that raider. If you couldn't kill a pony like that, you don't have it in it to kill me. I narrowed my eyes. I'm a quick study. How to use that thing? He huffed, but didn't move. Do you even know how to use that thing? I forced a smile across my face. Do you know that you only have one shot left? And judging by the sprite bot, that gun is in such poor repair I'll survive being shot with it. Will you survive being shot with this as many times I can move the trigger while you try to reload? Monterey Jack took a step back. And with that falter, my smile was no longer forced. And I'll be taking my canteens back. Ponyville. I wondered just how my pickbuck knew the names of places before I did. It even named the wreckage of a building that I'd just slipped into. Ponyville was raider territory. I just hoped this place, this carousel boutique, was not crawling with them. Monterey Jack and I had barely parted ways when the railing of the bridge exploded next to me. A sniper! The same pony, I presumed, who had turned Cage's head to applesauce. I fled into the town, keeping to what cover there was. Few of the buildings were intact enough to hide in. This was the closest. Fortunately, I was alone. And I waited for nearly an hour, curled up in a shadow near the door. But the sniper pony seemed uninspired to follow me. No, she or he could just wait until I came out. Fatigue washed over me. I had stayed up all the night before, and this night's events were a strain on both body and spirit. My muscles were weak and achy. My body hurt from the kicks I'd taken. I felt emotionally played out. I needed to sleep. Sleeping here was probably a horrible idea, if I woke up at all. It could be in the hooves of the slavers, raiders, or possibly worse. But going back outside, finding someplace better, just wasn't on the table. I was in no shape to test my wits against the sniper pony again. Carousel Boutique was quite similar in condition to the building up at Sweet Apple Acres, only the looting was more destructive. The walls had been painted with crude images of violence and cruder swear words. A pile of torn-up cloth in rotted in a corner, smelling foul, like ponies had urinated on it repeatedly. There were two beds, one of which was stained deeply with blood, and probably more vile things. The other was smaller, a folds bed, nothing but a mattress on a crushed frame. In my state, I felt it would do wonderfully. The carousel boutique offered two more treasures. A locked chest and another terminal, identical to the one at Sweet Apple Acres. 
This one too was still functional. Again, to my surprise, it was locked. Slipping out my access tool, I went to work. These terminals were crafted by some of the same ponies who made later pickbucks, and the encryptions and locks were similar enough that my tools allowed me to get partway through the security. What remained was a puzzle, finding the password within strands of code that my access tool laid bare. In my fried mental state, it was probably a small miracle that I was able to pass the code and find the password. Or possibly not. The password was Apple. I laughed aloud, catching myself when I heard the volume of my own voice and the stillness of the decrepit boutique. As I realised that, beyond all realistic chance, this was the computer that the message has been sent to. Um, with an unwanted feeling of accomplishment, I downloaded it and let my pitbuck do the rest. Age had damaged the recording, but there was enough audible for me to recognise the same female voice, kind of sweet and with an odd accent, that had many hours before revealed to me the code that led out of my old life into this new and horrible one. Special instructions for Stable 2. That's my family down there. Until the poison is gone from up here, that door doesn't open for any pony. The voice faded in and out of static. No, you hate this, sweetie belle. You're an overmare now. The overmare of one of the most important stable in all of Equestria. I need you to do this for me. To keep them safe. Best friends forever. Remember? The sound file died with a whimper. I'd been right. There was really no value in a two-century-old message. I left the chest for the morning, curled up, and went to sleep. Footnote. Level up. New perk. Horse sense. You are a swift learner. You gain an additional plus 10% whenever experience points are earned. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.